You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating evidence for Bigfoot and we are starting right now. With our skeptic team's opening statement, thanks team and PhD Tony for being with us. The floor is all yours. Hello everybody. Hello, hello, hello. This is team skeptic and I'm here with uh, my prehistoric dinosaur friend. I'm sorry, my PhD friend, uh, mm -hmm. PhD Tony. Um, I'll turn it over to him to let him kind of explain himself. Most of the people know who I am, but we are going to be taking the skeptical side of the evidence to suggest that Bigfoot actually does exist. And after we make our opening statements, we'll let Ernie and Pat have the floor to present their evidence. Uh, go ahead, Tony. The floor is yours, and I'll follow up after you. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm PhD Tony. I'm a geophysicist from Australia, and uh, my expertise is actually far removed from this. Um, but I'm just here to sort of present the attitude of science. Um, cryptids like Bigfoot are actually very romantic notions. And I personally would think that there was nothing cooler than if people could demonstrate that Bigfoot was real. I'd love you know, for them to be out there and, um, and for them to exist and be able to study them and learn from them um, and better understand our universe. And I think that everybody has that romantic notion, you know, that there exist these things be slightly beyond where humans can see that are there if only we look hard enough. And the problem with that is that as much as I want to believe, we need, we only make progress scientifically when we apply very strict barriers to what we accept as proven, which is to say that Science is not about proving that something doesn't exist, right? Science is about assessing the evidence available to us and saying, okay, what can we deduce from this evidence? What can we, um, what can we resolve from the evidence available to us? And um, sadly, from my personal perspective, and I think from the personal, you know, from the perspective of um, cryptid hunters everywhere, the evidence at the moment just isn't there. And furthermore, there is such a lack of evidence that um, it doesn't really warrant a huge amount of funding to search further because we've exhausted a lot of our opportunities. Um, you know, I will cite the Sykes et al. 2014 paper in the um, uh, Philosophical Transactions B of the Royal Society um, that analyzed, um, I think about 57 hair samples and found and were able to explain all of them and none of them were unknown and none of them were were any not previously encountered species the most exotic 
that they had encountered that they found was a prehistoric uh, uh, polar descendant of the polar bear. Um, and, and similarly, you know, um, we, we don't find any traces of DNA in stool samples. We don't find any, um, we, you know, it's unclear how they can mate or sustain genetically diverse populations without being able to communicate with one another, without being able to travel and um, call to one another. Um, uh, do we hear these? Um, uh, do we see them doing this? There are a lot of um, zoological studies that are you know, examining biospheres. What exactly are these things eating? Where are, the remain where are their remains and the remains of their food? Um, are they producing middens in the way that ancient humans did, which are piles of sort of food refuse, like uh, seashells or that sort of thing? None of the um, physical evidence that we would expect um, uh, is there. And, and there are also other reasons to be sceptical. In order to sustain a viable genetically diverse population would require a minimum number of individuals. And... Um, it doesn't seem like there are that many Bigfoots or big feet, whatever the plural is, um, let's say Sasquatches. There, there don't seem to be that many of them around. So how are they maintaining um, bio, you know, genetic diversity? How are they maintaining their um, viability as a species? Um, and you know, again, we get back to what are they eating? The environments in which they live are not that productive. If they were that productive, there'd be humans there farming, but these things are actually um, very difficult to survive on. And you've got to wonder, you know, exactly where in the biosphere do these things fit? What are they eating? How often do they eat it? Um, and, um, you know, how, how much energy can they get out of their environment and how much do they need to support um, their allegedly gigantic frames? Um, bears can eat I I was yeah, going to say, can sorry, I step in and, and make a, a point about what Tony's saying? Um, if you look at the evidence across the world for the uh, for primate habitation, almost exclusively there's primate habitation between the tro the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, and it appears that only uh, humans are the only primate to have. Um, actually traveled outside of the tropics to inhabit all of the lands. And we, Bigfoot has been, uh, has been reported on every continent except for Antarctica. Uh, not to say that if Bigfoot does exist, that there's not a chance that he could exist on Antarctica, but to say that he has not been, it has not been reported on in, in Antarctica, but we do know that we do not find other species of primate, primates outside of humans that have migrated and, and made home of anything outside of the tropics. Yeah, well, I've babbled for long enough. Why don't I hand over to okay. Tim? Yeah, um, now let me say, uh, so part of the science position is that the, there is this persistence of the myth, and, and Tony made a great point about the lack of physical evidence, but there is a persistence of this myth, and, and you know, hoaxes, like Tony said, are real easy to produce. They're real cheap to produce. Uh, we've, we've known this to be a common occurrence in the human species to find things like aliens and Bigfoot and to go out of their way to make 
um, replicas of what they know or what they believe to be true to help perpetuate their audience or or to perpetuate the myth, I guess it would be better to say. Uh, we have a, we have a built-in confirmation bias, in fact, that strengthens that argument that says that when we, if I as a human know that I can present some shoddy evidence to Tony, who also believes the same position I am, he has a higher degree of confirmation bias of agreeing with my evidence simply because of his confirmation bias. Um, the, the, uh, let's see the, there's a, Oh, the other thing is, is that there's this idea that the, uh, the Bigfoot community, the cryptid community, the alien community, they're all very anti-science, anti-authority. Tony and I could speak till we're blue on in, in the face about the scientific, um, support for certain things or the science, the lack of scientific support for cryptids, since we're talking about cryptids. Um, and then you have this group that's, you know, very much against anything the government, anything science says. And you'll find this. These are fringe groups. The cryptid community is a fringe group. It's a fringe. Uh, it's a fringe community. And, and it's very common in these pseudoscience communities that um, that they, they, they take strongholds in countries that have more freedom of speech like the U.S. Again, you find Bigfoot cited heavily in the United States where no other primate other than humans have been able to uh, to migrate into and to make home. Just to just to quickly put in, these are these are general observations about anti-science movements. Having had a having had the opportunity to talk with Pat before the before the show, um, he seems like a very level headed um, uh, guy. Um, So um, no, I don't want any of these generalizations to be assumed yes. to apply um, these, uh, to our opponents this evening. Yeah, these this generalizations gen- go to the cryptid community, not the individuals that we're actually speaking with tonight. I mean, Pat was a great conversation piece before we got started. Uh, Ernie seems to be a really nice guy, too. And uh, I, I look forward to a good conversation. I don't want anybody to think that I'm speaking of these two individuals right here. Um, but there's there's also an, an undeniability about the profitability of cryptids like Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, I mean, look at all the TV shows that are on TV right now. Bigfoot Hunter, Looking for Bigfoot, what uh, Monsters of the Sea, you know, all these different shows that come on on uh, channels like the Discovery Channel and Nat Geo that are built for entertainment. And there's a reason why they're built for entertainment, and that's due to the human condition. Uh, we seek things that we don't know for sure because it's it's the 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 uh the search for knowledge the search for something else out there that we do not yet understand it's a very 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 profitable uh venture for people to do that and like i said i'm not saying that pat or ernie are, are here in it for the money but uh, there's no there's no point in denying that fact uh, in fact, I've seen videos where people say, I'll do this for free because not all of the times is the profit monetary. Sometimes that profit is emotional. Sometimes the profit becomes, you know, the, the, it's a it's a, a brain driven uh, profit where you have now where someone who was a little bit more on the fringe of society now finds himself in a, in a position of importance. So we, we must not deny that all of these things exist within our society already. And I think that when you combine all of them together, it makes it really hard to say that Bigfoot is not just a myth that's perpetuated by people who may be looking to to feel important, maybe looking to make some money, maybe com- uh, completely against the the uh, scientific or government narrative, uh, amongst other things. So that's where I'd like to end my portion of anything. Tony, if you have anything else you'd like to add, I'll turn it over to yeah. you. If not, 
I'd just like to add that my position is slightly different from Tien's. My position is that I don't think that the evidence available to us allows us to conclude that Bigfoot is anything more than a myth. Okay, um, which is, you know, that's that's how I, and that's just a nuance of phrasing. Um, you know, um, it's not, it, you know, we're not trying to say anything definitive here. We're just saying based on the evidence that we have and our best understanding of it, we cannot conclude um, at the moment that uh, Bigfoot is anything other than a myth. Um, yeah, Bigfoot is impl implausible, not impossible. Yeah, exactly. And um, so um, uh, that being said, um, uh, I, for one, would be really excited if Pat and uh, Eric can uh, change my mind on that. So. Well, I would like to speak up really quick. You bet. Possible. Oh, one sec. What, what so I want to mention. I Oh, yeah. One sec, Ernie. I promise I'll give you a chance. want to mention, folks, before we kick it over to Team Bigfoot for their opening statement as well, which we're really excited for, want to let you know all of our guests are linked in the description, folks. So if you'd like to hear more from our guests, they are linked below. And that includes if you're listening to Modern Day Debate via podcast, as we're thrilled that we are now available on podcast. So pull out your favorite podcast app and find us. And if you're listening via podcast, again, you can find our guest links in the description box for that episode. So, so thank you very much, Ernie and Pat. The floor is all yours. Okay, great. And Ernie, uh, if you don't mind, uh, do you mind if I go first? Uh, no, go ahead. Cool. And uh, and then I'll turn it over to you to uh, to address you know any, you know the things no that are kind of like in your in your court. Um, uh, thanks, guys, for those opening statements. Um, actually, Team Skeptic, I actually agreed with you on a lot of those points. Uh, you might be surprised by that. And, um, and for uh, PhD Tony, um, yeah, we do, we do have some evidence. There is evidence and we will, uh, we'll discuss that when we get into open discussion for sure. Um, and, and some of the questions that you asked about, uh, you know, uh, their, their rarity or how rare are they and uh, their ability to communicate uh, we definitely have some pretty good evidence of that. But you're right in your opening statement, Team Skeptic. The only thing I would say to that is, yeah, there is a Bigfoot online community. I swim those waters. I actually swim those waters pretty deep. And uh, I consider myself a skeptic. And I, I am. I'm a critical thinker, a skeptic. I catch a lot of flack for it honestly, in the Bigfoot world, uh, you know, it, it goes, it comes down to that thing where, you know, when people start getting into cherished belief rather than evidence towards, you know, an explanation, then once you start messing with people's cherished beliefs, you start catching flack. And I know you guys understand that. <laughs> so um, I deal with that too in the Bigfoot world, but I swim those waters for a reason. And here's why I can separate the online Bigfoot community, which is no different from any other online community, online alien or online, you know, uh, uh, sewing community. I can set, set aside that from the actual phenomenon, which is the better way to describe it. In my opinion, it's not a myth. This is an actual phenomenon. It's happening. 
There's tens of thousands of uh, documented anecdotal accounts that are that, that are very uh, reliable. And a lot of those are from, you know, very respectable, reliable people as well, not schizophrenics or what have you. Um, and uh, that's a huge body of anecdotal evidence, even though I understand anecdote is not evidence if you want to apply it to actual science. But I kind of use that phrase anyway um, in a non-scientific term. So, so we have an, an actual phenomena that has no ex actual explanation yet. And because of that, it kind of like leaves this void of knowledge that people in the online community like to fill with their own worldviews, their own uh, beliefs or cherished beliefs, even religion. Um, and so that void gets filled and that's why the Bigfoot world gets so convoluted from people from the outside looking in see it as this convoluted thing and and might would go straight to a mythical sort of uh explanation and uh it's anything but there's a legitimate phenomena that is worth some kind of looking into from any kind of open-minded person um because that's what i am i'm a skeptic critical thinker open-minded I'm a, I have a willingness to consider new ideas, and I found that this uh, this phenomena is worth looking into, and I've looked into it, and there's something to it, and uh, I believe it, it. The best explanation so far would be some kind of undiscovered hominid. I'm not willing to just start marching down the road of paranormal, supernatural things, and of course that happens in the Bigfoot world too. So I just, uh, I, I think it's important to say, yes, uh, Tony, we can answer a lot of your questions in open discussion. And uh, everything that um, Team Skeptic addressed is completely fair. Uh, but I would like to flip that script a little bit and say, you know, I'm going to remove the actual phenomena from the online community. So, uh, Ernie, I'll uh, turn it over to you. Okay, uh, I I also agree with uh, the the last statements by um, each of the uh, skeptics here. Uh, but again, Pat and I are are both skeptics, uh, and I, for one, I I do not believe in Bigfoot. Uh, I'm a skeptic. And uh, if it's simply a question of, uh, well, if someone says there's no evidence, well, there is evidence. There's physical evidence, and there's also anecdotal, historical, cultural, with uh, Native American legends, uh, Tibetan legends. So in all of these similar areas with similar habitat, uh, with very deep remote forests for centuries and millennium, and millennia with different, with uh, like say Native American culture, Tibetan culture, uh, in certain areas of the world, th this legend persists. And um, the description of the creatures that Native Americans describe 
is the same physical description that uh, people in North America, for example, over the last 200 years have described, which is documented not just in Bigfoot reports, but in newspaper reports over the last 100 years, at least, uh, is, is rife with those reports of a, a giant ape-like creature uh, walking on two legs. So you have all these correlations, and uh, then there's the fossil record, which is littered full of ape men. The fossil record is full of Bigfoot, Sasquatch-type creatures. So you, uh, as a person like me, I, I'm not part of the Bigfoot community. I don't, I don't want to be. I don't have any interest in it. Um, so I look at it as uh, a completely neutral uh, person with, with a huge interest in the topic. And so I'm looking at it from a 40,000 foot perspective. Um, uh, and I look at it from a long timeline perspective also. And uh, so I didn't uh, get my information through the Bigfoot community I did a lot of research, a lot of reading on my own over a period of years, and I uh, have only been interested in this since 2005. And I've been an outdoorsman my whole life. Um, and uh, all of a sudden in 2005, I saw a series of documentaries on the subject where uh, scientists were on camera being interviewed about it. I thought, wait a minute, I didn't think that anything like this was still going on. You know, I'd heard the Bigfoot legend, I'd heard the name, but no, I thought that no one ever took it seriously. So the more I looked into it, the more research I did, the more books I read by scientists like John Napier, who uh, at the time, you know, did uh, was was skeptical of the idea, all the way to scientists like John Bennernagel, um, who was an advocate, um, a wildlife biologist. So uh, there are now, you know, over the last several decades, been several scientists uh, w with an interest in this, like uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum. Dr. John Mayanchinsky, of course, you've got uh, Dr. Grover Krantz, uh, was probably one of the first professional scientists to, to kind of be public about this. Uh, and so to date now, I mean, there, there are more legitimate scientists uh, who have an active interest. But, um, and, and yes, there is physical evidence. So. As a person who's neutral, like I said, with no dog in the fight, just wanting to know what is this all about? The further you look, the more you realize there really is a phenomenon that is quantifiable, it's measurable, a phenomenon of credible people who know the difference between a bear and anything else they know the difference between a moose and a bear, uh, even if they've just seen them on television their whole life. And all of a sudden they go from the city into a national park and they see a bear, they know what it is. 
So um, you, you, you have to look at all of it together. And to, if you're going to be truly logical about it on paper, every single thing that you look at points to there being a physical species, a very rare reclusive species of hominid that has evolved over millennia to avoid human beings. Because the general, the accepted theory is that, uh, scientific theory is that uh, the reason all of these other hominids no longer exist is because largely because humans outcompeted uh, Homo sapiens sapiens outcompeted them. And so that's why we don't have, uh, you know, Paranthropus boy's eye or, uh, you know, or Homo erectus, just for example. You, there, there are no other hominids walking around except modern humans. So um, when you look at, like I say, it's all of the evidence uh, combined that, that, that leads to this quantifiable uh, phenomenon of credible people citing giant apes in the forest who have no reason to lie at all. They're just as adamant as they can be, and they're describing the same thing that uh, the Native Americans have been describing for centuries. So I'll kind of, oh yeah, and then with physical evidence, yes, there is. There's uh, a lot of physical hair evidence. And we can talk about that in detail later, but there's that, um, which, which cannot be uh, attributed to any known species, but it is known to be wild primate hair. It's all similar to itself, but it is, uh, it is not classifiable. It's all been found in North, uh, remote area, forest areas of North America. Then of course, you've got the foot evidence, the footprint of uh, evidence. 30 seconds left. Footprints. Footprints, okay, footprints that cannot be hoaxed. So I'll stop there. Thank you. You got it. Thank you very much. And want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here, we are thrilled to let you know that Modern Day Debate is a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics, striving to give everybody their fair shot to make their case on a level playing field. And, folks, if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button as we are absolutely pumped. You will see on the bottom right of your screen, sometime this month, we are thrilled to host for the first time a JFK conspiracy debate regarding who really killed JFK. You don't want to miss that, so do hit that subscribe button and that bell notification. And with that, we will jump into open discussion. So thanks, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. Uh, yeah, I'd like to first uh, just ask a, a question real quick. Is this going to be completely um, philosophical in nature, or will you actually be showing us evidence during the uh, back and forth? Because as of now, and I, not to to you know denigrate your position, but there has been nothing more than anecdotal. Uh, this is why I do it. This is why I am in my position, which is fine. That's fine for you guys. But for a debate, it's going to be hard to convince someone like myself or someone like Tony, unless you provide evidence that we can verify for ourselves and, uh, you know, and, and, and ensure that there's some kind of validity to it. Yes. Uh, and well, yes. I would there encourage is, you to. Yeah, there's evidence. I mean, we, we have evidence to bring to the table to discuss. 
Um, I don't, I don't, I don't have a dead Bigfoot sitting next to me that I could drag on camera. But yeah, we, we, there's evidence. There's been evidence collected. Uh, Will y'all be presenting the evidence? At least, at well, least I, links, I present, links or, can, or anything. I can I'm sorry, go ahead. For you, I can cite for you um, who, who first began to catalog this evidence. It involves Dr. John Mianchinski, he's a wildlife biologist, and Dr. Henner Fehrenbach, um, a primatologist, I believe. And uh, if you will just simply, uh, you, you can Google it, you can look for um, any seminars that these two scientists have given or interviews that they've given, and then you can look at their uh, um, microscope the photographs of the morphology of all of these hair samples that lack no. something called a central medulla. So okay. yes, you can, you, I'm so, citing it, but I can't, I don't have the hairs here with me. No, no, no. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not explaining citations yeah. are just as, as well as showing yeah. me on well, camera. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I'd yeah. like to, I'd like to address that. So if a scientist gives a seminar or gives an interview or writes a book, that has absolutely zero scientific validity, right? Right. Do you you guys understand that, right? Yeah, of course we um, understand. Yeah, yeah. So, but it so is the evidence. only the um no, it's not evidence. It's not anything. It's a it's an individual who happens to have a PhD um, expressing their opinion. There's um, more than one. Yeah. No. 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 Yes, there may be more than one, but that's not the point. The point is that science is not the opinions of any group of individuals. It is what is accepted by the scientific community. And that comes through publication in accredited journals through a peer review process. I agree. So unless any of these results have been published in an accredited journal after undergoing critical peer review, then they're not science. Um, and while these people are credible, while these people are responsible, they work for universities or what have you, um, uh, it, it needs to be well understood that when they express their private opinion in a book that they wrote, in, a, um, uh, in, in, a, in an interview, in a seminar, they are not actually um, doing science. And this is, this is something that I don't think that the scientific community um, uh, is doing a particularly good job of communicating. What they are doing is they're saying their, their personal opinion, and you can get scientists with all sorts of personal opinions um, who will say all sorts of ridiculous nonsense. Um, and other people will go, well, that's a scientist. They must know what they're doing. I don't care what an individual scientist says during his free time. What I care about is what's in the literature. And so if you want me to accept um, the opinions of scientists, you need to point me to their publications, to their relevant publications in accredited journals. Okay, fair enough. I'll address a couple of few of your points there. Uh, we do have reputable scientists who have, have published some of this information. It's, it's, not, it's not extremely common, of course, because we're, we're talking about the colloquial Bigfoot, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it does happen. Some things have been published, um, but where? My ass. Where? I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Uh, are these are these uh, scientific uh, journals? Some yeah, type of scientific uh, Meldrum, peer review. Meldrum, 
Dr. Meldrum has published in, in journals uh, 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 many different, you know, things dealing uh, with this subject. Uh, so it has, some of this stuff has been published. Again, not a, not a whole lot, but technically has been published. Can you it, give me one example of it so I can look up, it up? Not and, off the top of my it. head. I, yeah, I did not come prepared to start uh, raffling through the semantics of scientific journals. Uh, because I honestly, prior to this debate, I, I did my best to find scientific uh, journals that were uh, doing peer reviewed um, papers from credible scientists well, on this topic. And there's not very I many may. out there. Zero, in fact. Go ahead, Ernie. Yeah, if I may, yeah, you're right. There are no, um, there are no, you know, papers that say yes, Bigfoot exists. Of course, there aren't. Um, and uh, no, the, I, to my knowledge, there are no papers that have been published. That's not how, that's not how journals hair, work either. <laughs> about the hair samples. Journals are all and, about uh, new ideas. What I'm what I'm getting at is that the hair exists. And well, the, the scientific and I'm not telling you that it's Sasquatch hair. I'm telling you that these hair samples exist, and they are just one okay. of this of this uh, collective total of things of evidence, both physical and anecdotal, and cultural and historical that lead wait that lead anyone logically who's neutral beforehand who sees it all reads it all knows what's there, knows what's known and what is not known in this field of study, then you realize, yeah, it does. It all does point toward that. But there mm. is no absolute evidence, and I'm not telling anyone that the scientists are telling you that it's Sasquatch hair. They're not. They're okay. telling you, hey, we have these hairs that defy description. They're wild. They're tapered ends that have never been cut. Okay, can I? So, sure. um, in my opening statement, I cited the study by Sykes et al. Um, in 2014 that looked at 30 hair samples attributed to anomalous primates. Um, and they were able to find genetic matches for all of them. So, all hair that has, um, all hair that we have found that has um, genetic, uh, genetic markers included included can be explained. Now, if you've got hairs for which no, um, uh, no genetic evidence is available, okay, then what I want is for a, um, for a qualified biologist to publish looking at these hairs and saying they don't match any known animal. Um, and even if they haven't... I'm sorry, Tony, go ahead. I was going to say, even, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you finish, but I want to add to that. Uh, he's right. He's that, right. That's what I want. Well, That's what I want also. Let me yeah, let right. me add to that. Right. So these hair samples, while Tony is absolutely right, and he says that they may not be able to identify a specific DNA sample that they can match up 100 percent to a known sample that we have. There are ways of determining what common ancestors are still shared with these um with with these uh these hair samples, like with humans, like we could go and take a, a uh a chimpanzee hair, and we can take the DNA of that hair. We can take the 
uh, DNA of the hair that the samples that are being brought in, and then we can find commonalities in HERVs or in ERVs in that in that situation, just be an ERV. But we can find commonalities in the ERVs um, to to determine at what point did we break away from a common ancestor with these things. This is this is science that we use today to determine when we have a physical animal in front of us and we say, oh, that's that's an undiscovered animal. We can take the DNA. DNA sample and get an idea of when it broke away from a common ancestor and know the common ancestors that are involved. So why is there no published uh, information in a, in a scientific journal talking about the shared DNA between, maybe, maybe they can't identify exactly what species it is, but why is it not talking about the shared DNA with other known hominids? Uh, First of all, no, no DNA has been used. No DNA was yielded from those hair samples. You've got to have the uh, follicle yeah. on the end of the yeah. strand in order to get DNA. Yeah, uh, so well, maybe possibly. So it is it is uh, it is a challenge to get DNA from uh, hair samples, but it, it's doable. But yeah. to answer your, answer your question uh, directly, uh, Team Skeptic, is that uh, there's no desire or funding to do so with anything uh, you know, related to Sasquatch. They, they, geneticists just won't do it because it's actually uh, extremely complicated when you're, when you're talking about looking for a hominid that's uh, close, uh, I'm just gonna say that close to us, close to humans, in, in, the, in the way that Neanderthal or even chimpanzee might be, but undiscovered. So uh, geneticists just won't do it. They won't waste. I mean, there's a funding issue for one. You know, they're yeah. not gonna, they're not going to throw their interns into something that's a taboo subject. So so there's another there's a totally another realistic actual realistic side to that story, uh, which is why you don't get you know what you guys are yeah. looking for is like show me some good published materials. Well, Nobody's doing it. Well, um, well, okay, I'm going to say it for a third time. There is a study by Sykes et al. from 2014 that appeared in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society. Now, this is one of the most prestigious journals in the world, right? Yes. This is the this is the Royal Society. This is one of the most um, this is one of the most highly esteemed scientific research organizations, and they published a genetic sample of 30 hairs that had been attributed to Bigfoot and Yeti. And they were able to positively identify that all of them, they were able to positively identify the species of origin for all of these samples. Um, so, um, so, so the argument, the argument, yeah, there, there is a problem in that, in that, um, in that funding is scarce and people don't want to throw it away. And they also don't want to, um, they also don't want to, um, they also don't want to let their graduate students go down rabbit holes and, you know, flush their academic um, credibility down the toilet um, by looking into, um, by looking into, you know, um, uh, questions that may may discredit them. At the same time, you know, the discussion of things like Homo florensis, um, that, um, you know, the, the, the famous hobbit species um, uh, in, in Indonesia, um, that made those researchers famous and has opened up, you know, entirely new branches of research. So it's a risk-reward scenario. But if, you, you know, if somebody were able to identify a new species of hominid, you know, they're, 
their That'd be scientifically important. Yeah, their, their reputations would be guaranteed. So you know, I agree. It's, the problem. It's, the problem with Sykes's study is that I literally could have walked down into the woods behind my house, picked up some hair from a deer, put it in an envelope, and sent it to him, and it would have been included in the study. Uh, yeah. So he he was collecting data from bigfooters, not professionals. Not okay. one professional was was involved in collecting any samples that okay. site studied. So All right. that's an important thing to note about the prestigious nature of his study is that not one professional collected any samples. One okay. thing that I would like to say is uh, there was a whole lot more than 30 samples sent in. Dr. Jeff Meldrum has spoken about this. He was very familiar with what was accepted, what wasn't, how it was processed. And because the uh, sort of what's what would be called the golden standard of these hair samples that have, they lack the central medulla, they're naturally tapered, they are primate, uh, but they're, again, they're being found in these uh, remote areas in North America. Uh, lots, several samples like that that he considered, you know, the gold sample were sent in. But if they didn't immediately yield DNA, uh, in other words, they were uh, they were destroyed without even being looked at first. So that mm -hmm. morphology, that similarity of morphology, that might be like, hey, wait a minute, we've got a whole bunch of even more. I mean, there was over a hundred mm -hmm. samples of uh, various things sent. So I'm okay. not telling you that anybody thinks they were Sasquatch bears, but lots of them were destroyed just in the process because they didn't yield DNA. Well, um, so DNA extraction can physically harm the, um, can physically harm the sample. Um, but what you're describing there seems to be a, a slight misattribution. So you can, you can dissect a sample, you can, you know, analyze a sample, dissolve it in um, the appropriate reagents, um, to try and extract and polymerize the, um, the RNA samples. Um, but um, it's, um, you may do that and you may not end up with a usable DNA sample at the other. So when you say they were destroyed because they didn't yield DNA, the samples may well have been used up in the sampling process, but failed to yield usable DNA. Um, and that's Correct. a very different, and that's a very different um, sequence of events than they were destroyed because they didn't yield DNA. Um, now those samples may not be, and I would be surprised actually if they didn't no, preserve that, it. If I said those... that in those words, I misspoke. One sec, just, okay. to, be, just to hear the last from PhD Tony, and I promise we'll come right over to you, Ernie. Um, so yeah. just to. Um, uh, uh, I, I would be surprised if they didn't set aside at least some of their subsample, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people who sent those samples in set aside some of the sub subsamples, because you know, you, you, you typically so, when you're handling evidence like this, you keep a portion of it so that if something happens in transit or whatever, you're not completely screwed. Sorry. Well, that's speculation yeah. purely on on your part, and we're really going down an unnecessary rabbit hole again. As I said, I'm very familiar with the psych study and you should perhaps educate yourself on what Dr. Meldrum and some other contributors to that has study he published, had, had to say about it. 
has he published his um, misgivings about it? Has he replied to this study? Has he published yes, his yes, own commentary? No, oh, has he published? Has he published? Well, he's yes. been interviewed. If you'd like to know what he thinks about it, then you can look into it. Well, can I can I step in there? Uh, I I don't think me or Tony would like to know his personal opinion on it. I think the fact that we're asking for peer-reviewed journals where he's been published is because it's already gone through a process of scrutiny by well, scientists like in that, that field. Too. Now, I like what I too. I want to bring up something you you brought up Homo erectus and another species that you know we eventually found and whatnot. I want to say that you know the reason why we understand why we say to this day that Homo erectus existed is because we know they existed. We have empirical evidence to support that they existed. Bones, uh, other things that tell us these things actually walked the earth and at some point left remnants of themselves for us to find in a future date. Bigfoot is not a phenomenon that is described to have happened 30,000 years ago. It's something that's ongoing today. People are making sightings today. So it would be much easier. In fact, we should expect to find, as Tony said in, in the intro, we should expect to find this evidence. We should expect to find bones. We should expect to find blood and hair and urine and scat and all of these things. And yet all of these things seem to elude us no matter how hard we look. But we can find evidence of species that existed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years ago. That's very telling on the Bigfoot myth. Well, it's, well I mean, I, I agree with what you said. How do you mean it's telling? To, yeah, we, you know how many fossils of chimpanzees you could fit into the back of a truck? Not many. Uh, we have very few fossils of chimpanzees, yet we know they exist. Um, so yeah. so that's, that's a correlation that's, uh, that, that isn't, uh, it doesn't exist. It's not important. Now, as far as finding a dead body or remains, I mean, there's there's a lot of different reasons that you could that one could theorize. We don't do that. They're they seem to be a rare species. Uh, they live in very remote areas, although they interact with us sometimes because we go to remote areas. Um, so that's where those interactions tend to happen. Um, so as far as them dying and finding a body, I mean, there's so much uh, remoteness to North America. Um, you know, you could hide, you could hide ten thousand human bodies that would never be found. People go missing all the time; their bodies are never found. Um, so it's it's not extraordinary to, yeah. to that a rare species that their remains would not be it's found. A little bit, it's a little bit different to look for an individual versus to look for a member of a species. Looking for a member of the human species in uh, you know, 10,000 years, let's say humans had a ca catastrophic event, we all died massively and suddenly uh, a new life, new intelligent life came up, there would be evidence to suggest that we actually existed because there would be remains, there would be buildings, there would be all kinds of things that were standing that that would maybe not test the time to be reused, but would at least show that that we existed and we left our, our, our footprint on this well, earth. I'd, I'd like to address... I'd, I'd like to address a, a logical issue with what Pat just said. So not everybody who goes missing gets found. That's true. Um, but a lot of people who do go missing do get found. Their remains are found. Um, and, um, you know, the fact that some people go missing and aren't found 
does not explain why all Bigfoots go missing and are never found, right? right. You're, you're talking about something, you're talking about something that sometimes happens to humans, but for some reason always happens to Bigfoots. Okay. And you know, and again, sorry, I just wanted to. What actually, I should let you respond. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's a big difference. When one human being goes missing, we send a hundred to go look for them, and and sometimes never find them. Um, mm -hmm. So, so that that's a big difference. Nobody's looking for dead Bigfoot bodies. Maybe some people. Yes, they, Shit. Yes, they, Shit. yes, they are. They're looking all the time. <laughs> No. There are people whose lives are dedicated to this. They're they're no, no, absolutely they looking all the time. No, 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 no. You're you you are definitely confused. They don't go looking for dead Bigfoot bodies. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for interaction. They're but looking, looking for, for evidence. They're looking for evidence. Yeah, yeah. Dead dead but, Bigfoot bodies are considered evidence. And if you ask sure. one of those guys, what? It, let's say you you found a true Bigfoot researcher and you said what would be the ultimate evidence there would be two one would be a live bigfoot that would be the number one and number two would be a dead bigfoot because when you get a live dead uh, bigfoot or a dead bigfoot you have you have a complete physiology there that you can begin to construct and understand okay even if it's just a hair sample that's good enough if we can get a hair sample like tony said that excludes every other uh species we know then that's something to talk about Unfortunately, there's no peer-reviewed uh, publications that say we have exclusive evidence that this hair came from a not a species that is not known to humans already. Right. Well, well, true, but just back to the point of of do do Bigfooters go looking for dead Bigfoot? I, I assure you, they don't. That's not their goal. They they don't go into the extreme, vast, remote areas just wandering around hoping to stumble upon a Bigfoot, what Bigfooters do is they go out looking for interactions. They want, they want live Bigfoots, you know, uh, that make their presence. Then known. why bother taking foot casts? Why bother sending hair samples in? Why bother doing any of this if all they're looking for is an interaction? Uh, okay. Fair enough. All, uh, all I'm saying is that like, they don't go out into the woods with the frame of mind of I'm going to go find a dead Bigfoot laying around like that's no, like I said, they're, happen, they're looking for evidence and under the purview of evidence it, it, is a dead Bigfoot. That would be a that would be substantial evidence. In fact, if somebody brought a hominid sure. of nine but feet they, tall that had no DNA uh, to comparison they, to what we already know. OK, here's the point, dude. They understand that the chances of that happening is virtual zero. And why? I can't explain why. Other we can go than, out and find dead bears. We can go out and find dead air, anything if we go looking no, hard enough. Why no, can't they go? Well, well, you're assuming that you're assuming that Big Bigfoot has a, a bear population. You know, they're they're much more rare than a bear. A black well, bear. okay, uh, okay, but that you know, and and I accept that you know it's it's not likely. But there are a large there are a large number of people who are out there looking for any sort of tangible evidence, and they have been looking for some time. Um, and so, while it's you know while the bear population is much larger, and therefore you know bear finding should be much more common, it's diff it becomes increasingly difficult to justify why no one has ever done this. Um, you know, and 
in, in addition to all of the people who are actively out there looking for Bigfoot, there are people hunting, there are people camping, there are um, lots of people going through going through the wilderness, and absolutely none of them, you know, no, no Bigfoot has had an accident and fallen down a waterfall or um, accidentally eaten something poisonous or had their... Um, or, or um, had their um, uh, appendix burst at the wrong time, or you know, just gotten on the wrong side of a brown bear. Um, right, uh, that because, did not happen. You're correct. Um, and, and yeah, well, at least it. Um, and and this is the thing, and that's and and this is where I draw the line. Okay, so um, it's science is not about what's possible. Okay, is it possible that Bigfoot yet exists? Yes. Yes, you can. You can make. You can explain away the lack of evidence. You can explain away the um, everything, but that's not science's role. Science's role is to look at the evidence as impartially as we can and say what can we determine from I the agree. evidence that we have. Um, and and you know, I am um, uh, sure. You know, I I I I just looked um, Dr. Meldrum up. Um, he's got. Some publications relevant to um, uh, relevant to um, to this uh, to this particular um, topic that have gotten into peer review, but none where he's claimed that it's um, uh, that it's real. And he, um, you know, he seems to be a responsible academic with a deep conviction. But just because he's an academic doesn't actually give his convictions, um, his opinions, um, undue weight. I'm certain he's a reasonable, responsible person. Um, uh, but he has to accept that if he wants me to share his opinion, he needs to get it past peer review. Um, uh, and he, he would agree with that. He would agree yeah. with that completely. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm certain he would. Any any responsible academic would, and this is a man, you know, as you say, with a with a with an academic reputation. Um, and you know, actually. I, I didn't know what to expect coming in. And so I want to say at this stage, uh, Pat and Eric, um, this has been Ernie, a fantastic Ernie, comment. Ernie, 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 sorry. I keep on getting it wrong. Yeah. I've been calling you Eric all night. Sorry I have been that. meaning to step in. I apologize. Okay, Ernie. sorry. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Ernie. My apologies. But I wanted to say I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed um, discussing this with you guys. You guys are, um, uh, are really, um, you know, uh, your exact, you know, when when I had my worst case to best case scenario about what was going on, you guys are above the best case scenario. Well, thank so. you, thank you. Now, any, can any, can any, I direct that real quick? To yeah, you, sure. To, uh, uh, yeah, again, I tried to look. We're trying to bring some kind of reasonable discussion to the table when it comes to Bigfoot, and we understand that people outside the Bigfoot world, you know, skeptics which are good skeptics, that skepticism is healthy. I'm, I'm all on board. Um, and even people watching, uh, we're trying to bring something different that they may not expect. You know, the, the, the kooky, well, it's aliens, so, you know, right? You know, or, or some weird flat earth kind of like cherished belief, like I told you guys. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I appreciate that 100%. And, and this is a good discussion. I want to open it up even more you know, and talk about other different, uh, you know, tracks of facts. Um, and, and we do have visual evidence recorded on film. So, it, uh, you know, we can, 
we can get out of the minutia of the freaking DNA and hair. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to yeah. bring up something that's actually a relevant point here that we've, we, you guys have touched on, but we haven't addressed yet. And you said that the, the, the mythology of Bigfoot or the Yeti or the one of the millions or hundreds, not millions, I, you know, I'm exaggerating there, the hundreds of names that they've given them cross culturally. You make up a, you bring up a good point. Go ahead. In Australia, they in Australia, it's uh, the Yowie. Yowie. There's, the uh, Yowie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what I want to, I just want to to say to that argument, the cross cultural argument, is that even in all cultures, we've always had giants in our myths. Look at the Christian culture; it has uh, the story of David and Goliath. The yeah, pharaohs yeah. of Egypt, the first giant they say was the pharaoh Sanaket. Uh, Sa I think is how you say his name. Um, we've had we've had giants in our our storytelling for ages, for long times. Um, in fact, we've had giant people because uh, they they've they actually have uh, bones of the pharaoh uh, Sanaket. So they there are stories of people that are larger than we are than we than we are on average for instance average i think we're about six foot tall as as a human species so nine foot tall if you were to say yetis were nine foot tall or eight foot tall that would be a class that we that would be some kind of explanation would needed to be given there that might be a, a something genetic that allows them to continuously grow to that size where we have a different uh genome that prevents us from getting to those sizes. Yeah. So um, the idea that there are giants and storytelling giants across all these cultures, that's that's totally understandable. But you have to accept the fact that that's part of the human condition. We are going to talk about things that are larger than life. We are going to make up stories to describe why we have thunder when it used to be that the gods were angry. Now it's due to you know, due to, to, to the, the storm systems, you know, um, we used to say, oh, it rains because the gods are crying. Um, that's not necessarily true anymore either. Now we know it rains because of, you know, thunderstorms and, and, and uh, storm systems. Again, this, these are just things that we become, we, we understand now. We've always told stories that are larger than life to explain things. I think if you see a, hu a huge shadow in the forest and your brain interprets that as some scary being that you're going to go around and tell people, hey, I saw this huge scary being out in the forest. Might have been a manipulation of shadows, but it might have looked real to that person. Yeah. yeah, and that does happen. I would like to address that, but I'm actually, Ernie, I'm going to turn this, that, that over to you. Go for it, bro. Which part exactly? What, what, anything that Team Skeptic just said. Well, something I may have missed in the beginning. I'm just curious, what exactly is the debate tonight? What is the <laughs> debate? Is it evidence uh, for Bigfoot? <laughs> evidence for the existence of Bigfoot? Yep. Okay. All right. Well, again, Native American legends, you know, again, there, there's all these correlations, uh, the long distance howling, which is theorized by uh, Bigfoot advocates to possibly be uh, how they communicate over long distance, being that they're rare and there's not a ton of them around. If they exist, that would make sense. But that's what people have described, hearing and seeing. Um, it's all been consistent over millennia. Long before there was internet or television, uh, where people uh, in other parts of the continent, other parts of the world, could not have been talking to each other to 
compare details and say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell my newspaper guy that if it's a purple color, so you better make sure you tell him yours is purple too, and then we'll start this big thing. There's just no way to to think that this started from a hoax. The the legend, the story of this exists far predates any known hoaxing. And mm. you can't hoax eight feet tall. You yeah, just can't so, do it. Run, running through the forest and leaving uh, impressions that what would require something to be around 600 pounds or more going straight up a mountainside over logs. You just can't hoax it. So there's, I, I don't say that that means Bigfoot exists. I say there's a lot mm -hmm. of very interesting evidence. And once you're aware of all of it, even though none of it's conclusive, even though none of it's in a peer-reviewed journal, uh, obviously none of it's in a peer-reviewed journal because if we had, you know, proof, then bam, it would be there. Yeah, there is no there. We don't. There is no proof. Not enough proof in any way to have some peer-reviewed journal that says Bigfoot exists. We all know that. We would have seen the press conference by now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well anecdote. Go ahead. That's not that's not a debate. Well, that if we not up for debate, of course yep. it's not proven. If we I listened know, to just but, anecdotal evidence and not took in the scientific evidence, we would all be convinced that we are living on a flat earth because to our senses, we look out, it looks flat. If that's all we had to go off of, if we went off of personal experience, these are the type of rabbit holes we'd be led to believe, and they would be incorrect at its fundamental uh description. Well, I, Go ahead, Tony. I'd, yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to make a general point. So, you, you, you um, Ernie, um, uh, correctly points out that there are that there are a lot of similarities in um, in the structures of these stories across um, across different um, regions. Um, but the common element to all of them is that they're all told by people, um, and um, so it's not a question of whether or not the people are influencing one another. It's a question of whether or not, you know, in what ways um, is human perception limited? And if you've ever seen, you know, um, there's a particular there's a particular illusion that has a bunch of blue dots and one red dot. And if you focus on one of the dots, that other dot will suddenly turn blue because your brain is your brain is aware that there's a blind spot and it's filling it in for you from the information it has available. So your brain is actually doing a lot of processing of um, visual images that you're receiving without you even being aware of it. And it is trying, you know, and your brain is trying to interpret its surroundings in the most efficient way to keep you alive. So it, it will be inclined to identify something as menacing and as a threat with very little provocation whatsoever, um, and um, you know, and so the idea that somebody somebody says, "Well, I saw this. It was just out. You know, it was in passing, out of the out of the corner of my eye, um, but I got out of there." Um, and you know, that story gradually gradually grows. Um, uh, that's the process that I'm imagining. But humans, are, you know, when you talk about humans who are reliable, um, steady, um, you know, no history of mental ill health, no history of drug use, no history of fraud, et cetera, et cetera. You know, particularly now that we do have this body of law behind us that is making us more suggestible, 
you know, at whatever level it's working on, if we see something and our brain is slightly confused as to what it might be, it only has to be slightly outside of our experience. Um, the other aspect that I would point out is um, the existence of outlaws, which is to say individuals who, for whatever reason, end up existing outside of the local social structure. Um, uh, these people can exist and they can wear, for instance, bearskin cloaks. Um, uh, and they can, um, uh, you know, they are not something that you're used to seeing. Um, uh, they can behave furtively, they can behave, there are a number of explanations that can be put forward to explain the body of evidence available to us. Um, and so interpreting all of this anecdotal evidence, we need to disentangle it. Some people are definite frauds. Some people are prone, you know, some people are definitely mentally ill. Um, some people are neither, um, but you know, um, that doesn't mean that what they've seen or what they think they've seen is necessarily an accurate interpretation of that. Sorry, and I prattled on. Yeah, before we turn it over to you guys, can I? I want to send. I'm sending a link in the chat for everybody. This is a, a publication, Scientific American, uh, talking about the unreliability of uh, eyewitness testimony, mm -hmm. which is partially yeah. what you're bringing up here, Ernie. We, uh, I yeah, just want to show the relevance to it, and it's pr Ernie, just to, to Ernie and to, I have both read it already. <laughs> Okay, like great. Years great. ago, yeah, years. Ago. Okay, I'm sure it's 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 an older publication. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah, I will address that real quick. Uh. Because there's um. Again, uh. There's. I'm trying. I'm trying to bridge some kind of gap here between mm -hmm. uh. You know, skepticism and 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 people that don't like. They don't swim in the waters that I do, and, and yeah. I'm as again I'm a skeptic. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I swim in these waters and. I'm here to tell you, as a skeptic, open-minded, critical thinker is what mm -hmm. I am. You guys heard me before the show. I was like, mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, those, you know, I'm, nine eleven, so and you know. So sorry to interrupt you, but I've I've not heard anything in this discussion that contradicts that at all. Um, I right. uh, I would not listen to any criticism of you that says you're not a critical thinker. Okay. And and I'm just here to tell you, as a guy that swims in those waters and 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 explores this phenomena to some degree, I don't consider myself a, a what, what they call a researcher. So I don't mm. go tramping around in the woods looking for Bigfoot. Um, but for some reason, Tony and Team Skeptic, this this goes beyond uh, corner of your eye, uh, flash in the pan. Uh, there are at least 10,000, at least, probably more, but at least 10,000, I don't know, I'll say just 5,000 documented accounts of a class A sighting where a eight foot tall monkey man steps in front of a human being at five to 30 feet. And it's very clear what you're looking at. Bro, you're not looking, like... you're not looking at a bear. You're not looking at a pink dragon. You're not looking at an old lady standing in front of you. You only see one thing, an eight-foot-tall monkey man uh, with human it's features. A, Hooded nose. It's not a hermit in fur. Yeah, it's not a person that. in a ghillie, ghillie suit. 
Yeah. And well, again, I would say that those people are perceiving that. I'll, I'll grant them that. You know, let's take away all the crazies and all the fraudsters. Well, that let's sounds like a hallucination to me, though. Not I mean, necessarily. You're, you're talking about, uh, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, because a, a hallucination is a little bit different. You're manifesting something that's not there, other than misunderstanding what you're looking at. Remember, you do have to perceive this in your head still. It's your eyes aren't cameras. Your eyes aren't taking pictures and storing those pictures for like memory that anybody else can access. You're actually having to retell your story. You're having to put the puzzle pieces back together given an amount of time since the event happened, number one. Number two, if you're in a scared state and you're pumping, your adrenaline begins pumping through your body, you are going to perceive things slightly differently than if you were just watching it on a camera. Go ahead. Not slightly. I'd like to address that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, when people see a bear in the woods and they're frightened, hell, it's, it could be just a, a deer and they're frightened because maybe they're not used to being in the woods. They don't have to suddenly uh, mistake the species of the thing they saw. If a bear is scary, then be, the people were going to run away and run into a house and go, oh, my God, I was almost eaten by a bear. The bear is scary enough. Yep. Why, 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 do they, why do so many people over thousands of years, you know, why in the, I've seen so many bears. I've studied this Sasquatch topic since 05. I've spent so much time in the woods. And, yes, of course, I would love for it to be real. But I don't believe mm-hmm. that it is. I'm looking for any any explanation that comes down the pike. I, I'm interested. Dude, you so, can't mistake four foot wide shoulders, standing on two legs, eight feet tall, hairy, no clothes, uh, a hooded nose, um, big eyes. Four again, four foot wide shoulders. Like these mm-hmm. are consistently, consistently described by numerous people from different yeah. parts of the country who don't know each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, may, uh, maybe, so, here's, maybe here's a theory. Maybe we have a cult of liars. Maybe. Okay. Fair enough. But it's the consistencies are all there and man, they yep. are not, they're not seeing bears. They're not seeing shadows. Okay. My, my, happening. well, the, you, you bring up, you bring up the point that I was going to make. So if I take a familiar object to you, um, and I cast a um, and I cast a, a a random pattern of shadows on it. I can make it look unrecognizable. Okay, your interpretation of what what you're looking at depends on the light that is reaching you, and your brain is trying to piece it together in a fraction of an instant. Um, uh, and um, the brain's ability, the brain is not a perfect tool for doing that. And we need to accept the limitations that it has. Now, you bring up the number of sightings. Well, we can also we can bring up the number of sightings of angels that existed during the Middle Ages, or we can bring up the number of sightings of aliens. Um, you know, there's lots of anecdotal evidence of um, of all of these things. Um, you know, we can bring up uh, that there's the 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 um, you know the various sightings of Loch Ness, for instance, the anecdotal evidence. And I mean, if we're talking about cryptids that have been completely debunked, um, you know, Loch Ness, there's zero chance. Um, it is actually physically impossible that there is a, uh, that there is 
um, any sort of exotic wildlife in Loch Ness. Don't break um, my heart, went, Tony. Don't you break my went, heart. They went through, they did DNA samples of the water. Um, it's an eel. Multiple, um, uh, yeah, it's an eel. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, so, you know, all of these sightings, all of these reports, all of these um, uh, what have yous, um, uh, you know, um, as, much as, as much as there's a consistency about them, um, you know, we, we have to be sceptical of, um, of this because humans, it turns out that humans can be made quite suggestible, particularly if they're in a remote location and feeling, um, feeling unusual. There are, also, there are also physical phenomena that can impact the human being's perception. There are subsonic um, and uh, electromagnetic effects that can actually convince people of things that simply aren't true. Um, uh, there are also infrasonic effects that can cause vibrations in the eye. Um, uh, uh, that, yeah. um, well, I mean, you know, if you've got a... Well, that sounds got, like a good published journal to explain Bigfoot. Um, so, I mean, it's a, um, in the woods, you, can, you may be able to get these. Um, by um, uh, the passage of wind through various objects, but you know, that's actually a very, you know, it's a very good, I am not suggesting that this is actually the exact phenomenon. I am merely pointing out that there are a bunch of exotic phenomena that we know about that can influence human perception. I'm not trying to suggest that every Bigfoot sighting is down to the, is down to infrasonics or electromagnetic effects. I'm just saying that sometimes um, these things can influence people. And you're right to throw skepticism on them occurring in the woods. I bring them up merely because human beings are complicated machines. Our brains are really, really complex. They don't always work properly. And I also want to add to that because this was kind of brought up earlier about the um, hearing long distance howls and whatnot. Um, I do want to point out that there are certain natural structures that do exist in the world today and one of them in particular i can't think of the name of it but it's a little rock formation where two people on each side of the rock formation can have a conversation and the only reason is is because sounds a wave and it involved the way the rock is naturally shaped gives the constructive interference so that the sound will actually travel much further than if the rock was not there so there are natural explanations as to say why this is why is this possible that it could be ha could happen uh, that don't necessarily need to rely on a cryptid that is using long distance communication to talk to another one of its mates or another one member of its species because it's Why not able to congregate together. Why would so many different? But that's not true either. Describe, that's describe not true either because there's there's many inconsistencies with Yeti and Bigfoot. Look at the abominable snowman. He's all white. Yeti in oh, in, in North America oh, is all. Okay, Yeti in North America, if he wasn't all white, he'd be much easier to tell against the background. I, that would be necessary I, for him to There is no hide. legend of the Yetis being white. Yetis are, Yetis are commonly described as brown or okay. pale brown. That, but, I, then, I, the, then I'm wrong on that. But, the, but the, um, are, you, are you guys now suggesting that Yetis and Bigfoots are related to one another? Um, no. because and, and I, I, I would I would suggest have, they don't that, have to be no 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 I, so so the I so the 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 discrepancy you know with the the color of yetis versus the color of bigfoots is kind of a straw man here um it's a relative yeah no I'm not I'm not going why I always I always understood is yeti to be a 
the term used in a, a localized region, I believe it's the uh, the uh, the Tibetan mountains, right? Is it like around yeah, the Tibetan Nepal. mountains? Yeah, I always believed Yeti to be just what they called their version of Bigfoot. So if I got that wrong, that's that's on me. I I just from my understanding, that's just the way I well, thought it was. I mean, yeah, there's a there are there are lots of local um, there are lots of local story cycles about you know large creatures in the wilds and you know the yeti is one from the himalayas um and sasquatch and um is yeah. one from you know north america um and and so on and and i think sasquatch is a regional term um from south west um southwest canada perhaps i'm not sure um i wouldn't want to um swear to that but um uh but there are, right. terms, right. there, there are different the there are different there are different it's an anglicized version. The other, the, the actual word is, is shorter um, uh, and different. Um, but and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, the, but, but yeah, there there are these there are these regional stories with similarities. And my my explanation of those similarities is that they're all being made by humans, and humans are trying to identify. The human brain is trying to identify anything that it doesn't really understand as a threat, and it will quickly latch on to. And if my friend Jim has said that he saw something um, that looked looked so and so to him, if I see something that I don't recognise, then um, I might attribute all of the stuff that I can see to all of the stuff that I don't really understand and coalesce it into something. Now, that's um, not only can it, you know, our ability to perceive clearly um, is also influenced again by lighting conditions. And in a forest where there is light slanting through um, uh, a random uh, collection of trees and leaves, um, that can produce some very exotic viewing conditions. Viewing conditions that the human eye is not necessarily um, well used to. And that can lead to some confusion in interpreting what we're seeing and the relative um, distances between them. Um, right, that's, me add, that would be a, my, that would. Okay. I, I, let me ask you this. Can it create the lighting conditions where you see uh, uh, big eyes with pupils and a hooded nose and a, a, a wide mouth and hair on a, a human, uh, like a, a hominid form bipedal shape? Um, can it create because to me, I'm sorry, I always have to go back to this and this only. That would be a, an actual hallucination, not um, not a misinterpretation, a hallucination. No, it because could be that's illusion. what people describe. So yeah, that's what people so, describe. Yes, people describe it. So um, there are two aspects to what people describe. A, their personal experience, um, in in the sense of what information they had coming into this event. So let's let's imagine this person walking into this clearing. They have their body of knowledge, stories that they've heard, pictures that they've seen, that you know, they've got their entire world experience behind them. Um, and they use that to interpret the world around them every second, every moment of their life. They are constantly scanning their environment and trying to interpret it and make sense of it and make sure that there's nothing there that's going to hurt them. Are you they aware that most of these people say that they had never put any thought into Sasquatch at all before their sight? Um, yep, yep. Um, I'm about to get to that. So um, 
so you step into a clearing and you see you see um, something that you cannot that your brain is having trouble processing and your brain's instant response is to a pump as much adrenaline as quickly as it can into your bloodstream and b to start scouring every single experience you have ever had um, to try and find something that can help you better understand and um, better deal with the, this the the phenomenon you may have heard of the phenomenon of your life flashing before your eyes um, uh, if you're in a life or death situation and this is literally your brain just rummaging through your um, your experiences trying to find something that's going to help here um, and your brain is actually really good at it and it will find it will find and make connections in an in and it's not bothering to tell you know the the bit of you that is talking with me now it's not going to bother talking to you about it because it doesn't care about you um uh it's trying um to keep the entire organism alive and it kind of regards um conscious intervention as just something that will slow it down at this point um, so it bypasses the, the, you know, the frontal cortex completely um, and just goes um, and just goes um, just goes straight through the memory vault. Um, and if it can find something that even vaguely matches, um, it'll it'll make a connection there. And so yeah, you don't need you don't need to have gone in with a with you don't need to have dedicated a lot of attention to have heard stories of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, seen you know, the Gimli, is it the Gimli um, uh, footage? Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, uh, you know, you don't, um, you don't need to, have, you don't need to have seen a lot of it to, to, to have that in your background and your brain goes, aha, there's a connection. Yep. Matches up well enough. Let's get the fuck out of here. Well, um, that's okay. why, why does here's, a bear here's hunter, my question. Why does a bear hunter see his 50th bear and go oh my god i'm scared well i have to attribute that, it to yeah what else. what why yeah tony uh, tony i would like to ask you personally right now what in the hell are people seeing to trigger their brain into that reaction you just described okay yeah so, so, why is he so afraid on the yeah, one hold on i want to okay. okay. i want to give phd 20 chance so to respond afraid? and then we got to go to the yeah. q a pretty soon go ahead Tony. Okay. so 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 my response to that is i don't know what they're seeing um, but um, neither today. They're seeing something that cannot be easily processed, and it may be a familiar object that they're viewing from an unfamiliar angle. It may be um, uh, the lighting conditions that are contributing. It may be um, uh, some sort of uh, metabolic or optical effect um, that is causing them to misinterpret it. It could be a bunch of stuff, but my my, um, you know, there are a bunch of, your brain will look at something and then it will go, okay, I don't recognize that. And it could just be because you're looking at it from an angle that you're not used to or in lighting conditions that you're not used to, or that it made a sound that you don't associate with what you're looking at, or that it is somehow um, discordant. For instance, if you're wondering, you know, a lot of, a lot of cryptids, for instance, there's a, there's a particular river monster um, that is thought to be just a seal, um, which is something that people in the area don't see a lot of. Um, uh, and, um, uh, and they would probably recognize it if they were in a different environment where they expected to see a seal, but they're not in that environment. And so this thing seems completely alien to them. 
Um, so it could be uh, it could be anyone. And, and the reality is, I don't know what they're looking at. And can I say definitive? And I want to I want to draw this back to where I started. Can I say definitively that they're not seeing a Bigfoot? No, I can't. I can't say that. Um, what I can say is that um, uh, I would expect other evidence um, in order to, I need other evidence in order to accept that testimony because human testimony is often not a reliable um, guide. We are going and, to jump into oh, the sorry, Q&A and do want to say, folks, our guests are linked in the description. We really do appreciate them. And so you can click on those links. And that includes if you're listening via podcast, folks. In the bottom of the episode description, or I should say at the very top of the episode description, you will see their links. And so thank you, gentlemen, as we go into this Q&A. We've got a lot of juicy questions. One coming in from Soldier of Science. Appreciate it. It says, in 2020, in just the state of New York, 1,700 black bears were killed by hunters. Every year, hunters are also shot by other humans on accident, other, hu other hunters. They say, how has no hunter killed a Bigfoot, given those statistics? Uh, I see. Uh, those, st those statistics don't matter in the way that you would think, because there's, uh, again, there's a disconnect of misunderstanding. Um, they, they avoid us. Um, they, don't, they don't just come running towards us when we're shooting at stuff. Um, they they would likely go the opposite direction. Uh, they seem to know understand the uh, things in our hands or weapons, and um, and if you think you're going to go out in the woods and purposely try and kill a bigfoot, I mean you might as well be saying that you're going to go one v one against the Navy SEAL because they seem to be that good in their their environment. They outclass us. I've, I've determined this much. It, hey, it almost has now, to be. Can I, I have a question about that. So if they're, okay. if they're so good and they're so intent at avoiding us, why are there so many encounters where they just. God, Tony, you stole my question. Yeah, Go sure. Ahead. I mean, that's, chance, a, we'll that's a fair question. It's, um, it's, it's, a, it encounters are relatively rare. There's probably, there's going to be a million or more people that go out in the woods this week, um, maybe today. Yeah, but um, but a lot of a good portion, a good percentage of those people are hunters. So why is it always that we're finding that these encounters are where people, you know, they can get a good idea of what they're seeing. They're seeing a Bigfoot, but they can't make the motion to pull the gun up and and take the shot. Even a misunderstanding, like saying, "Oh, I'm seeing a bear there," when it's really a Bigfoot and takes the shot. It's okay, always I'll, people I'll who are you. unarmed, I, no. with no cameras too. Oh, no cameras either. Uh, okay. with, the, with the age of technology and information, we have no cameras to mm -hmm. even validate anything like okay. this. We should see this more. It's, Go ahead. Okay, I agree. I mean, you're uh, again, there's a misunderstanding here. Um, because unintentionally, I'll say you're oversimplifying it. Uh, hunters don't shoot them because they, they look big. First of all, they look big enough to go, this gun ain't going to do nothing to this. And number two, it kind of looks human. I don't know what I'm shooting at. A responsible hunter doesn't shoot at something. It doesn't know what it's shooting at. So there's a lot of variables to that, to be honest with you. And I would love to get into that, but I don't want to rob Q and a 
Well, as the question suggested, humans do shoot other humans. I don't say they do it intentionally in hunting circumstances, for instance, but accidents happen. So not we can't say that humans have the cannot are not going to do this just because they're not going to do it. Because if that was the case, then they wouldn't be shooting other humans accidentally. Okay. How many how many owls are shot every year accidentally? I have no idea. Okay. Probably virtually zero. Yeah. That's a new um, so How many mountain lions are shot accidentally? Zero. That's yeah. definitely zero. How many mountain um, lions are stumbled across as they're yeah. rotting in the woods? Yeah, nobody zero. shoots mountain lions accidentally. Nobody shoots bears accidentally. That's not a um, thing. We do no, have right. other questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll jump into this next one from Bitwise79, who says, I've heard that the only way to stop a Bigfoot attack is to whistle. Team Skeptic, what are your thoughts? I say run, because I can't fucking whistle. <laughs> then Will Stewart, thank you very much for your questions. And Tony, so science is only science if it's accepted. So it doesn't have to be true, but just accepted. So it's science by majority. Um, so there are a number of false um, uh there's a there's a particularly profound misunderstanding of what science is um in that question um uh no obviously there are things that are not currently accepted you know we understand that we don't yet have answers to every scientific question um so there are things that people can say that might turn out to be true we just don't have the evidence for them yet um and um and yes it's the it's the interpret it, it is the interpretation of um, people who understand the topic well enough that counts as to whether or not this evidence is valid. Um, so there was a huge, um, you know, let's look at the one of the last paradigms in my field, which was the eruption of um, plate tectonics. Um, you know, at the beginning of the 1950s, plate tectonics had about 5% um, support within the academic community, uh, within the earth science community. Very few people thought that it was at all um possible um and you know that that it was just completely physically implausible by the end of the 1960s um you know well by the mid 1960s completely accepted scientific um theory so in the course of 15 years um because the evidence became available we suddenly became better able to understand it um now it's not that the scientists previously were wrong when they said we don't have the evidence for this they were right. They were right to be skeptical. They were right to not accept it. Um, you don't accept something until you've got the evidence. Um, and that's how science works. And, um, you know, um, uh, please, you know, um, uh, please do not misinterpret um, science as being dictating what is true or what is not. Science is dictating, science is trying to determine what we can and cannot be be confident in um, with the evidence we have. That's what science is about. Gotcha. And thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Eldon S., who says, what is Bigfoot? Why Bigfoot? So, so uh, they have a number of questions rolled in here. They said, what kind of creature is it? So I think they're kind of like explaining what they mean in these first two questions. They say, so what kind of creature is it? What does it live off of to survive? 
Is it an animal, an alien, or from a lost civilization? What exactly would you say it is? I think we lost. Um, I can I I can only like answer that in uh, what is a good starting point, which is uh, it meets our definition of a primate visually. So it's it would it would uh, if it's a flesh and blood creature, if you will, of this planet, it would have to be some kind of undiscovered relic hominid. Um, it would be an omnivore. So it would meet, you know, it would eat uh, omnivore, like, uh, scale of, uh, of different types of, uh, uh, of things to eat. Um, I think that's a good starting point. Um, anything past that is, uh, is kind of, you start getting into hyper-speculation and, and imagination and things that you can't explain. We can explain we could actually explain an undiscovered hominid. It would be a, an amazing discovery that would be easily explainable. Uh, but, you, you know, you can't capture a ghost uh, so uh, or an alien, right? So, uh, so yeah. What, what is Bigfoot? Some kind of uh, relic hominoid. Gotcha. Super interesting. And this next question, I'm focusing on getting the pictures back up, folks, so give me a moment and they'll be back in a moment. But this one coming in from Imran Khan says, if Bigfoot exists, how intelligent would it be? By the way, where, by the way, there's this interesting SCP article that talks about Bigfoot. It's called SCP-1000, LOL. I, I'm sorry, what was the question? It was... How intelligent would Bigfoot be? Do you speculate? Uh, that? They would. They well. They would. They would have to be uh, extremely intelligent in their own way. Uh, obviously, they don't build. You know, they don't build spaceships and, and go to Mars like we do. Uh, but um, as far as uh, you know, being in their environment and owning it, uh, and the intelligence that they have and the perceptions that they have. Uh, they, they would have to be a fairly intelligent animal, uh, much more intelligent than a chimpanzee or a gorilla, more more like us. Gotcha. And if that was question. the case, can I can I ask him to expand sure. on? If that was the case, why is there such a uh, scattered population throughout the world? Why has not evolution and natural selection taken place with them to allow them to take over environments that would be conducive to them, like the chimpanzee environment or the uh, the ape environment? I don't know. I, I can theorize that. I mean, it, they avoid us at all costs. They um, they recognize that we are the most dangerous species on the planet, and they want to keep themselves alive. And, Would you say they're self-aware? Do they do they plan yes, things ab out? Absolutely. If, in your opinion, I know that this is all your opinion. I don't want to misrepresent you here. This is just your opinion. But you believe them to be self-aware with the capabilities of planning out future shelter, food, and water. Yeah. Correct. I mean, they would have to, to be honest with you, Team Skeptic, they would have to be. So um, so what I'm doing is I'm doing nothing more than this. I'm realizing that the phenomena is 100 percent real. OK, for whatever reason, people are seeing eight foot tall monkey men in the woods. We have some evidence of that. We didn't get to half of that. But uh, so therefore, yeah, they I mean, for them to actually exist, to be a flesh and blood thing on our planet. Uh, they would they would have to have that kind of intelligence and and, and cognitive uh, you know Absolutely. way of thinking. 
They would have to be. Absolutely, yeah. And they they certainly behave that way, uh, uh, it, it would seem. Juicy. And this next question coming in from Flat Earth Guy says, I support this channel. Thank you, Flat Earth Guy. Appreciate your support. And also, best in show. By the way, folks, want to let you know whether you be Flat Earth, Globe Earth, Bigfoot, Skeptic, you name it. We want to let you know. We hope you feel welcome here. We're glad you're with us. And best in show says, why would Bigfoot know to hide from humans? And, well, we'll there are four questions in there clumped together so we'll first we'll give you that one pat and ernie to try to answer i think i just answered that but go ahead ernie yeah why would they could hide from us well the only way the general accepted theory of why we're the only ones that look like us still left walking around uh in other words the general accepted theory as to why these eight men we have found in the fossil record are no longer walking around beside us is because we think that modern humans just outcompeted, you know, outcompeted them. If, once we had language, fire, we could communicate, we could strategize. That's the that's the theory. So um, over, you got to think over thousands of years, thousands of years. We can't even count, you know, contemplate that, let alone millions. And uh, so that's the idea. And so, in my opinion, gotcha. the only way something like that could still exist would be literally it had to evolve somehow to avoid human beings. Speaking of evolve, they say, wouldn't it need access to a large accessible water source in order to survive? And I think they're implying, you know, if that's the case, wouldn't it be easier to spot? Ah uh, no, there's waters everywhere in North America. You, you yeah, can't, but that, that's you disingenuous. Can't throw a rock. That's no. disingenuous. To, hold on, that's disingenuous to say that they're they're exclusive to a certain wooded area, and then turn around and say that the area also has a, a large uh, water source. You know, yes. like all humans, when they're in that, when they're put in a survival instinct, one of the first things you must find is a credible water water source that you can you can uh, drink from. This would to need find. to be. It's not hard to find. Survivalists would tell you differently. I uh, know they wouldn't oh, at all. If you yeah. were in the desert, yeah, not in sure. The woods. No, not yeah, in not the in the woods, woods what, dude. What makes you? Uh, think this happens. This happens. Like, we go go watch any survivalist show where they're thrown into a jungle environment where they have to find uh, a credible dude, water nah, source that they're you're talking. Territory. You're talking about entertainment as your source. Wild animals like, don't uh, happen. No, no, no. This is not a. Uh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yes, this I, this is this is on entertainment, but this is not just from entertainment. Find me a survivalist that doesn't tell you that the most important thing for you to do is find a water source. If Bigfoot and a hunter, let's say, or a survivalist or anybody that was in the woods who was lost, let's say, or had or was out there exploring, they would need to find a water source and that would necessarily bring them closer together. If it was water is everywhere, then that wouldn't be a concern for a survivalist to go out and make sure that that was the first thing they found was water to drink and survive from. Okay, I'm just saying this brings them closer together. I'm not saying that it it excludes it. I'm saying it should result in more confrontations that should be documented. Okay, listen, man. Yeah, and me and Ernie are talking from personal experiences here. And so in the areas that Bigfoot, uh, the kind of areas that they're uh, always seen in are wet, uh, forested environments with with terrain. Therefore, there are creeks, creeks and, and, and water sources everywhere. I mean, you can't 
you can't go up in the mountains here where we are in North Georgia. You can't throw a rock without hitting water. Got I mean, another, it's everywhere. So we've got another yeah, question. It's, it's, yeah, it's not it's not some some one body of water that exists in some certain place like swamps. Swamps are nothing but water. We've got another question. They say if they are being spotted by humans, then they don't seem like they're actually that good at hiding. It's on their terms. Yeah. Um, it's apparently. It, yeah. Listen, there's never been 30 people hanging out at a campsite and then uh, a couple of Bigfoot show up. That's never happened. Not once. You'll never find a documented account ever, ever saying that. Uh, it's always on their terms. And usually, it seems to be this kind of thing where we've tolerated you here for long enough. Now we're going to just reveal. We we tried to give you warning signs, and now we're just going to. I'm just going to reveal myself to you because I know you're out here by yourself, and that's usually how these uh, Class A encounters happen: is a one v one situation. Gotcha. And uh, they've got another. Yeah, they've got one more. Where they say, and where do they die? I think they're implying like why is it that we're not finding? i don't know i don't know i would love to know the answer to that question it's it's hard to observe them uh we need to get better observations and be able to follow them with uh you know high-tech technology uh, people aren't doing that by the way this is not happening nobody's trying to actually observe them with the best available technology of the day um so if we can get observations we might could find where they die Will Stewart throws his hat. Probably die where the where the mountain lions die. They're probably in the same spot. Interesting. Will Stewart says for both, is it more plausible to entertain that Bigfoot happened to be an alien species, and that explains why it's so hard to find them? I think it's less plausible um, that that Bigfoot are alien species. I think there's too many commonalities, unless we find evidence to suggest that intelligent life around the universe all takes our same bipedal uh form i don't think it would be uh intellectually honest to assume that a creature that evolved on in another planet or star system would come here and look very similar to us so i think it's more plausible to say that if bigfoot did exist it would be a just an unknown hominid um it but that's the big thing if if i'm not saying it does but it's way more plausible than interstellar travel by a being that, you know, that looks like a, an ape, looks just like a human right. ape hybrid. And and I agree with my opponent, Team Skeptic, 100% ditto. Gotcha. Go. And this one, thanks very much for your question. Coming in from Bubblegum Gun says, Vietnam Bigfoot is real, the Squatch Squad 4, the win. I don't understand. But Robert Summers also has a question saying, do you have a source for a mountain lion or bear never being shot accidentally. No way you could know that for sure, that namely that there was never one that was shot accidentally. Yeah, I, I'm willing to stick my, my neck out there and say that. And, and if it was just one, okay, fair enough. I mean, what is it, 100? Is it 1,000? Probably not. So probably we're, not we're even We're talking one. about, we're just trying to make the point that I don't even remember what point we were trying to make then, but, uh, you know, usually a mountain mountain lion is so rarely, they're so rarely seen. People that live in mountain lion country can go their entire lives, still live, you know, living near or in the forest and never see a mountain lion their whole life. And certainly never stumble across a mountain lion or any top predator carcass that died of natural causes. 
just lying out in the woods in an area where someone could just traipse across and, and find it. Will, uh, Will Stewart strikes again, says, Tony, so are you equally skeptical of all current scientific theories because new evidence could be found tomorrow? Therefore, confidence in them is illogical. That's, uh, that's, uh, those two statements do not um, logically connect. Um, yes, I am. If there's evidence that comes up tomorrow, for instance, that homeopathy definitely works, or that um, you know, um, I don't know for I don't know for certain that the sun's going to come up um, tomorrow. It has every previous day, but I cannot say with absolute certainty that that will happen tomorrow because I don't know the future. Um, so yes, you know, um, everything that we know is based on the evidence that we have to hand. And, and this is the difference between science and a religion. Um, uh, if we get new data, we revise our belief structure. Um, we look at, you know, how can, you know, how can this be? Um, and as a result, we will be resistant to new, you know, if, some, if, if a theory has performed well for a long, long time and a new theory comes along that um, seems to contradict it, it will be destruction tested it will be um, driven into the ground it will ha it will be picked apart um, and it is only if it can sustain that sort of um, concentrated attention that it can be accepted um, uh, so yes um, you know and this is this is one of the this is one of the uh, rhetorical tricks that anti-science people try to, um, a try to uh, a try to play, um, saying, "Oh well, science is just as much a religion as religion is." No, because we will change our mind if we see evidence. Um, religious people won't; they will ignore evidence if it con contradicts their um, their position. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so um, science is not about dictating to you what is true. Science is about determining what we can on the basis of the evidence. And if new evidence comes up, we always have to be open to that opportunity. Um, and this is why we're constantly observing and constantly asking questions. Um, and our confidence in a particular theory um, goes to show with how much evidence we have that supports it. Um, you know, but contradictory evidence could come up tomorrow. Tomorrow, um, you know, Noah's Ark could be found um, carbon dated, and it could have Noah was here engraved on it, along with a bunch of you know um, animal fecal matter. That could happen. It's not impossible. Um, and then we'd have to say, and then we'd have to say, okay, well, you know, um, uh, bugger me sideways. Um, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, but we'd um, we'd have to, you know, if it turned out to be if it turned out to be real, and um, you know, we we and authenticated then we'd have to accept it you know it science is not about just rejecting evidence because it doesn't fit with what we know and that's the you know anti-scientists often claim that that is the case but it 100 isn't and we are every scientist should be every diligent scientist should be skeptical about um about um what they claim to know and what they don't know but they should also admit when they are opining on stuff outside of their um, core expertise, 
biology, primatology, um, zoology, and um, ecology are not in my field of expertise. And if I presented to anyone the mistaken impression that this is my field of expertise, it's not. The opinions I'm expressing here are, though, are just as valid as teams and Pat's and Ernie's and anything James may choose to contribute. Um, you know, it's only in my field of expertise where I can publish, where I can, um, uh, where I can, uh, you know, get my uh, get my thoughts organized and accepted by my by my peers. That's when I can claim some sort of authority. Um, but I, outside I'd like to that, add to I, that. I'm sorry, I thought you were done. I thought I thought no, you were no, done. No, no, go on. I was okay, looking I, for an opportunity to finish and you gave it. So. <laughs> well, I, I'd like to just add just quickly to that. Um, if we're talking about scientific theories here, we're going to also have to accept the fact that the scientific theory that's being replaced was valid based on the evidence. So any new theory that came out that even if it was a paradigm shifting theory, it would still have to be somewhat consistent with the previous theory, even if yeah. it was completely different. It needed to it still needs to be consistent with all the evidence all the observations backwards it must have not just the same explanatory power but it must add something to it and i think science loves when a new theory comes out that adds to the uh adds to the knowledge of humanity yeah juicy and thank you very much for your question robert summers says besides any kind of quote unquote this person saw this unquote what is your go-to evidence for someone to look into for getting into Bigfoot existing? I would start with John Green's books and then uh, read John Bendernagel's books. Gotcha. Anything for you, Pat? Pat, are you there? I think, oh. I think Pat's asleep. Yeah. I have no, I'm here. I'm that. sorry, Ed. I'm sorry. No, I I, I, I'm famous for putting people to sleep. Um, so <laughs> you've done well to recover consciousness. We'll jump into this next. Oh, sorry, Pat. I, if you want to have a sh uh, chance to share uh, whatever you had in mind, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You got it. This next question coming in from. Oh, let me just reload this new one coming in from best in show says, why would a Bigfoot only be seen alone by himself and not with his family or friends? Wouldn't his family or a lover be nearby? Well, there's a, um, there's sort of a uh, <clears throat> consensus of how you should think um, if you encounter a Bigfoot in the woods, which is to uh, assume there are more. Um, and, and, and some of that does come from anecdotal, you know, accounts where somebody encounters one and then next thing you know that they're being flanked by another. Um, but, uh, you know, we don't know. Ex I mean, obviously again, it comes down to observation and, and I'm that guy. I want observations. I want to get better observations. Um, that, you know, do they live in troops or are they more of a, uh, you know, kind of a, a single male, uh, you know, multi, multi uh, family, different areas kind of, uh, you know, work, make your way around. Um, obviously, if they're if they're undiscovered hominid, they have to have a breeding population. So there's some some kind of, you know, uh, breeding happening between the male and female. And then offspring. 
Um, so you would at least assume that there are uh, there are is at least a female with offspring involved, some kind of troop. Uh, but do they have like family troops? You know, we don't know our cousins nearby. Like, honestly, these are the things we don't know. And uh, and and I would love to get the answers to. Ernie, I have a question for you um, real quick. Uh, how advanced do you think Bigfoot is? You said they're intelligent, but how advanced are they? I don't know. Oh, and, and it, it, I'm sorry, the names were switched. I was trying to answer. Uh, I'm sorry, Ernie. But this would, could be a question for Pat and Ernie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to directly respond to something he was saying. And, and uh, I'm sorry about that, getting you, got, you two guys confused. But both of you can answer this. How advanced? You've, you've both said that they're intelligent, which for them to exist, they must be intelligent. But we're about as intelligent as the Neanderthals were. We're more advanced than they were. But our intelligence level is about the same as Neanderthals. Now, we've advanced not just techno technologically, but we have a, approximately the same brain size. And it, it would appear as though any, any factor that's gone into determining a being's intelligence is relatively similar to what we know about uh, Neanderthals. So our intelligence, while we are more advanced, I'm, I'm all for saying that we are way more advanced. We've learned a lot. Mm -hmm. How advanced are Bigfoot? Um, man, that's, that's a good question. That's a tough question. And, uh, I, as far as advancement, um, they've mastered, I would just say this, they've mastered their environment, um, mm -hmm. in ways that we haven't. And of course we are not good. Um, so we're talking about wood, you know, uh, wet forest woodlands with terrain. And uh, actually we're not good at that. Um, we, we have to cut trails. Um, we use tools. We take everything we need with us, you know. Um, we have a third appendage we like to put out there called a hiking stick. So we kind of suck, you know, at that environment. And they seem to not suck at it. They seem to be very graceful in their environment, very capable. They're strong, obviously, uh, with their, their size and muscle mass. Um, and so they're advanced physically uh, in a way that we aren't out there. That's why I, the way I always try and frame it is that we're just outclassed. And this is something I have but, to tell people in the Bigfoot world all the time. But you also said that they have cognit cognitive abilities to pick and choose when they are non-stealth and when they are stealth. This shows a level of cognitive ability that, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. that, that really gives them more of a, you know, a, an advanced an advanced thinking type uh, type quality to them, you know, like Agreed. apes, I mean, apes and monkeys. Let's say really hard to find things. Species are usually hard to find because they exist in hard to find places, not because they choose when to allow themselves to be seen and when not to allow themselves to be seen. Um, so I don't. So if we're going to say mm. that they have that cognitive ability, they should also we should see you know why why have they advanced in cognitive ability, but not social ability, not the ability to form societies and, and form protections against threats and things like things that humans do. Sure. They, I, I'd say this, they, they have enough room to work with. And I think that's a misconception. Um, uh, so like uh, they have enough room to work with um, in, e even in North America, um, the Appalachian 
the Appalachian chain itself from, from Georgia to, you know, up to Pennsylvania, let's say, even though the Appalachian trail goes all the way up to, you know, Maine. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, a hundred to 300 miles wide, uh, unpopulated remote area uh, for a thousand miles. That's way bigger than the Congo. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, they, they always have enough room to retreat. And that, that seems to be from where I could, you know, my honest, honest take on this dude, again, as a skeptic, even uh, a critical thinker, like I've looked at the data, I've looked at what people have to say. I've looked at all the angles and, and thought about it myself. And they always put themselves in a position that when they confront humans, they have a way out. Even though like most of the time, it's them escorting the human out. Even though, you know, to, to the Sasquatch back, they always have a way out. And dude, they're eight feet tall. They got an eight foot stride almost. I mean, they can run 30 miles an hour easy. Well, you, you um, say that, but I would like to know where the evidence of that. Where, uh, was well, the, that, where did they prove, take these measurements at? Well, I mean, I could, well, if they're that tall, you know, I'm just going on. Okay, fair enough. I mean, they're not five feet tall. Um, we're talking about eight foot tall thing. Their legs would be big enough to make an eight foot stride. So if you're eight feet tall, you can run at 30 miles an hour. That's that's what your stride. Would but then you're adding mass, too. So you must convert this. You must have energy to completely sustain you. Again, Correct. we would be seeing we evidence for all of these physiological features that you say. There would be secondary evidence that should support that physiological feature you just said. So uh, I, I would like foot. to give you a chance to respond, Pat. And then we'll 18 go. inch foot. Okay. But where, can I, go ahead. I'm sorry. So the biomechanics of humans are actually fairly um, idiosyncratic. Um, we are the world record holders on covering the most distance over two hours um, because, you know, and that's critical to our survival. Why would Bigfoot have the same um, evolutionary designs as we have? Um, given that they had, they are not, uh, you know, hunting stuff on the Kalahari Plain. Um, you know, they didn't come from that environment. So why would they be as good at it as we are? Uh, because we we killed deer in the North Georgia mountains, not the Kalahari Plain, right? So so do they. Um, but we don't kill deer by ambushing them with our bare hands. Um, no, so we enter them with tools and then we run them down. So my question right, is, it, why would a Bigfoot be as good at running as a human is if they don't run? They don't because run. they ambush, they have to ambush their prey. I mean, I, yeah, I don't but that, know, that only, I don't that know only, why they've evolved the way that they only, That only, that you only, that only, you know, a tiger's ambush their prey, then they are very quick over 10 meters. Right, um, but they're not that good over two meters. So you know, um, the design, the biomechanical design elements that go into being an ambush predator are very different from um, the design elements that go into a human. Um, and my question, so you're extrapolating uh, the anatomy of a Bigfoot as though it corresponds to that of a really large human, but then you're making the argument that actually these things have evolved in a very different evolutionary niche than has applied to humans throughout their development. And so I'm wondering why you think it is valid to suggest that it's just the same as a really big human, because it's, it's not. I, I'm not saying it's a really big human. I never said that. 
Well, you uh, are it, extrapolating their running speed and their ability, you know, their, their um, uh, mobility um, based no, on, I, I, um, I never based said on stride, stride length. Bi well, you're bipad. using their stride length. Um, uh, a biped. Yeah, not, not a um, human, but a biped. Okay. Um, how Tony, fast are gorillas? How how tall are gorillas? Stronger. How tall are? Yeah. Well, how tall are gorillas? And how fast? And and how fast are they across the ground? Extremely fast. For what distance? For what distance? They're knuckle draggers. They're not bipeds. They're not bipeds. They are not okay. bipedal. All right. They're um, knuckle draggers. Name, can you name me another genuinely bipedal mammal? Living? No, I would hear that isn't that isn't that isn't that isn't say a macropod. I mean, uh, obviously, king, macro kangaroo. Kangaroo? Yeah, that's a macro. That's a macropod. Um, right, okay. But you notice that human. You notice the kangaroos aren't very human-like. Oh, oh, okay. No, the world's fastest bipedal animal is a bird. I can't remember. Is an ostr ostrich, I would guess. I don't. Um, I, it's not an ostrich, but something in that family. Yeah. You know, maybe an emu or a cassowary or something like that. Something, but yeah, something like but that. But regardless, it's not a Bigfoot. Um, and I'm wondering. You know, you just said that they run faster than they run significantly faster than an Olympic sprinter based on their based on their uh, on the length of their stride. Their and anatomy I'm, is different than ours. Yes, their anatomy is different than than ours, which makes me wonder how you can make any confident assessment of their running speed. Because they have they have long legs. Yes, but, but that in itself does not. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Tony. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, so elephants have really long legs. Okay, but they're that, that's quadruped. Again, they have, um, yeah, they have long... Size, okay, if, there are if, fast quadrupeds and there are slow <laughs> quadrupeds, right? right? Sure. Okay, so... Okay, so you know, there was a guy, all right, if you look it up on YouTube, the fastest man in the world, and what he did was he took one of those uh, birds that we were just talking about, the emu family type birds. He took that and put some extensions on his legs in, mm -hmm. in that design. And I'm not saying that it's exact correlation, but he put those extensions on his legs and that gave him an eight foot stride and he could easily run at 30 miles an hour with that eight foot yes. stride. Yes. So that um, shows you that a human being can do that with the right anatomy. No, it shows you that a human being that is that is augmented by um, augmented. materials, augmented right. by augmented with tools made of materials that are not biological in origin, can achieve that sort of speed. And what um, I said was and that's, their anatomy and that's, is different than ours. Yes, yeah. but that but they still. So, have you ever heard of the square cube law? Yeah, I know square cube. I'm I'm familiar okay. with square cube. Yeah. Okay. And, and we're so, not talking about people. So yeah, you're right. An eight foot tall person could never win like a a, a world record. I get that. Um, yeah. But it, even even more fundamentally than that, yeah, you know, the bigger you make something, it's not necessarily the case that it can maintain the same thrust to mass ratio because right. it has to you um, because really it, missing the point. yeah but six six to eight no i i would i would i would throw round and round I would, on this one gentlemen i yes, hate to okay. jump to the next yep, one we do no, have a next fair one enough. 
This one's a fun and juicy one, and uh, I think it's also relevant and interesting. They said in 2020, so about a year ago, a lot of the West Coast USA burnt. Did the Bigfoot flee at that time, and none of the firefighters happened to see them while they were fleeing, or did they die and happen to leave any bodies? <laughs> Again, I don't know. Again, don't they had know. a lot of room to work with to get away. Gotcha. Well, how did they respond to how did they respond to famine or um, drought? Don't know. I don't okay. know, so, man. So I mean, I, so I'll be honest with Pat you. Says you they've know? got a lot of room to work with, man. There's no short. They'll never. No, they ever no actually no actually no actually they don't. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, they do. You the, don't. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, do. there is a limit to how far a, um, a you know organisms can migrate and still be in a, still be in an environment that they understand. A lot of being stealthy and um, being able to being masters of your um, your particular patch of land relies entirely on well understanding that particular patch of land. When you move to a new patch of land, you have to spend years familiarizing yourself with it. Whereas you need to eat tonight, you need As to a drink. Person. You well, the um, the um, elephants um, eat uh, a couple of tons of food a day. Um, you're telling me that these things weigh what six hundred pounds, which is pretty light. Um, actually, for an animal that that's tall, Gigantopithecus is um, thought, who was ten foot tall, is no. thought to have been about um, wrong. <laughs> that that's nineteen fifties thinking, bro. Yeah, they they Gigantopithecus was not ten foot tall. It was about twenty percent bigger than a gorilla. Okay, um, can you find me the citation for that? Yeah, I mean that's that's Wikipedia information. Okay, of, well that's where I just got the then yeah. ju that's just where I got the information. Yeah, they 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 were they are thought to be about twenty percent bigger than a gorilla. Uh, the whole ten foot tall thing about Giganto. This is ironic conversation, by the way, or disagreement. Uh, is that um, that came from nineteen fifties thinking and was uh, and was ironically. Uh, regurgitated by i think grover krantz from the bigfoot world as he thought giganto was a good candidate for uh bigfoot and it turns out not so much because giganto through sequencing now is you know was more of a the orang uh family and uh knuckle dragger big very big i'll grant you uh but not a biped and not 10 feet tall I mean, maybe I mean maybe if it stood up on its legs, but not a biped. Well, okay, so hominid or so a lot of the gorilla ape species they're considered <clears throat> um, like not habitual bipeds. We are habitual bipeds, right? We actually do almost everything on two feet outside of lay down and do very few things in a daily routine that would require us to not be on two feet. So we're habitually bipedal. However, gorillas, apes, all of these are bipedal. They're, they're called frequent bipedals, uh, which means that they use um, or, or yeah, they use the bi the, the frequent bipeds. I'm sorry, frequent bipeds because they use by bi they're, they're yeah. bipedal quite often 
They can go bipedal, but they don't habitually do it. They naturally walk around on their knuckles. It's not to say that they're not bipedal in, in right. like their physiology because they are. They can stand on two feet. They can walk on two feet. However, I, they habitually walk with their knuckles on the ground. I, I agree. And again, I'm not trying to get into semantics. The, uh, the 1950s thinking of Gigantopithecus was that it was truly bi bipedal. Uh, that it walked on two legs and was this big giant thing, and 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 again, I, ironically, the Bigfoot world loves this theory and and still gobbles it up today, mis very misinformed of current thinking of what Giganto was. Um, they're they're stuck in the 1950s thinking. It was not a it was not a true biped. We we so pretty much know that now. More recent estimates suggest that it was nine foot tall. Um, the it had a femur length of 54 centimeters. Um, so, so if it were to stand up, uh, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, you know, the um, that's I, I rather, I mean, that's certainly big enough to qualify, but I think that you know, you're kind of missing the point here that these things are actually quite massive structures because once you get up there, you know, once you get up to that height. Um, because the cross-sectional, the, the, the material strength of your bones um, uh, increases with cross-sectional area, but the weight that is being put on them increases with um, the cube, right? Yeah, so I I agree. your yes. bones need to get thicker, your limbs need to get thicker as you get taller. As you make the animal larger, particularly if it's bipedal, it's going to need thicker limbs so the so the weight distribution for a human is going to be very different from the weight distribution for a um uh for right. a, uh, one of these things and therefore the energy consumption that they go through and you know this was never adequately addressed their calorific intake what are they eating how much of it where are they getting it? How are they getting it so reliably? And how are they able to do so if they just move all the time? You're now suggesting that these are highly nomadic species that aren't sticking to a particular hunting area or a particular grazing area. No, that, that they can move very, that, that they're moving very easily without getting lost, without, for instance, deciding that trash cans are worth, um, are worth a, you know, a nibble or two. Um, you know, you're they deciding that. that um, do they? Where's yeah. the evidence? And again, that's all like anecdotal. I mean, dude, if I had a great video of one eating out of my cooler, I'd show it to you right now. Okay, the one. We have many. Yeah. Well, we have a couple more questions we want to try to jump to. This one, Will Stewart says, "Tony, I'm sorry. Logic isn't partial. You can't use bias against quote-unquote anti-science to dismiss logic. Both could be false tomorrow on new evidence. How is that illogical?" I've got to go back to their original question. Okay, so the um, uh, 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 this guy really doesn't understand how formal logic works, um, uh, nor does he understand how science works. Um, the science, again, and I will repeat myself here, is not about dictating what is true and what is not true right? Science is about looking at the evidence and inferring from it 
what we can have confidence in. And the degree of confidence we have in that conclusion depends on the strength of the evidence that exists to support it and the strength of the evidence that exists to contradict it. And I fail to see how this relates at all to, um, uh, to you know, uh, accepting anti-science. Anti-science is about ignoring evidence, making excuses as to why particular branches of evidence should be simply disregarded because they happen to be inconvenient to the person's, um, to the person's ideology. That is anti-science. Anti-science is about ignoring the evidence. Science is about um, impartially assessing the evidence. And to describe the, um, you know, um, my position as a bias of science against anti-science um, is a logical absurdity because um, bias, bias is all about error, right? Now, what you're, what you're implicitly saying is that the anti-science is as valid as the science. No, that cannot be the case because the anti-science works in divorce from reality and the science works in close connection with reality. Science is based on what we observe in reality and what we can infer from those observations, right? And how we can derive new observations that will expand our understanding. Anti-science is all about making excuses for why particular fields of science are producing results that are incompatible with their belief systems, like the deranged nonsense that anti, um, that young earth creationists come up with. Um, you know, well, geochronology doesn't work because of this and blah, 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 blah. You know, um, all of this nonsense that is obviously untrue, but you, you can confect this fantasy world in which observational evidence doesn't count for anything. That is the opposite of science. That's what anti-science is. And you cannot describe a preference for science versus anti-science um, as a bias any more than you can say that a preference for being alive over being dead is a bias. Um, you know, it's, um, it's an idiotic comment. Gotcha. The Batman says, Tony claims Gigantopithecus is 10 feet without giving citation. Pat claims this is false, and Tony demands a citation, though he never gave one either. Well, I was just looking at the. I was just I looking we at Wikipedia, that. and we settled that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my my actual my actual and the estimates of its height haven't actually changed that much. I mean, it, it's down to nine feet. There's no particular revision. And again, as Pat has conceded, that is, and as I would concede, that is them standing erect. Um, the um, suggest the thing that annoyed me about Pat's statement was um, hand wave dismissal, and if you're going to say that, um, I want to know exact on exactly what basis. Um, but we hashed that out and um, uh, and we got through it. Fair enough. Again, again, um, I will and and it's not an entirely invalid criticism because that is exactly what happened. And again, I am not. Uh, an authority on this, but if you're just going to um, hand wave away something I say, be prepared to um, back it up, um, just like I would have had to back it up if I'd been called on it, and I was. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not trying to hand, hand wave anything. Brother. Gotcha. Yep. This one coming in from Will Stewart says, 
I think this is, I would guess for Tony, because it's the last one's for Tony. They say, so you can straw man me, but I don't know how logic works. I'm not anti-science. You stated I was. You, I understand you straw man me. Well, um, then uh, if I'm, uh, you know, if I am failing to engage with your argument, perhaps explain it better. And then he had another one where he said, so you can straw one of the, he said, no, I am stating that scientific consensus and anti-science are equally invalid. Um, then you're an idiot. We yeah, I on. think I think when they talk about scientific consensuses and and things of that nature and, and peer-reviewed journals, the the point of that is to assess the methodology by which the evidence was taken, and the assess by which means the uh, the research group came to their conclusions to make sure that everything was not, let's say, for instance, uh, someone putting forth an idea that was never tested and saying that it's true. Well, if they tried to push that through a peer review, uh, through the scientific consensus of a field, like we don't, people don't, people in the um, anthropological world probably don't have a lot to add to the people in the uh, anthropogenic uh, climate change world. There's probably a lot of, you know, a lot of different differences in the uh, too many differences in the field to make one qualified to peer review another's paper, for instance. <clears throat> but the scientific consensus doesn't come with the idea that we all get together and say, this is what we believe. We just the scientific consensus is, a, is, is there to validate or invalidate the methodology by which the evidence was attained. And, you know, you can, you know, the, um, if you want to say that science is equivalent to anti-science, um, well, just look at, you know, um, actually throw, you, throw your computer out the window because anti-science didn't produce your computer. It didn't produce the electricity that is powering your house. It didn't produce any medical um, procedures that you've received. Anti-science did none of that. Religion did none of that. Science did it. And science achieved all this by applying the scientific method impartially. So if you're going to claim, if you're going to turn around and claim, well, you know, science and anti-science are just as um, invalid. No, the process of peer review um, and moving via peer review and um, uh, uh, you know a consensual understanding, well, consensus understanding of the um, uh, of the evidence that is available to people isn't getting us anywhere then you're living in some alternative reality um, because by doing this we have managed to vastly improve our understanding of um, you know our understanding of the world around us and our ability to survive in it and our productivity as individuals and if you want to if you um, uh, suggest that science has no um, particular validity um, uh, then you're an evolutionary throwback Planner Walk with his super chat says, I'm sorry, Tony and team, but if Bigfoot doesn't exist, then how do you explain Gigantor, the largest flat earther? I'm Gigantor, the largest <laughs> flat earther ever. Gotcha. And the Batman says, Tony demands peer-reviewed sources, yet cites Wikipedia. Yep. I think um, he just, I'm they a, just, yeah. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert on, I'm not an expert in this field. So I went with the most convenient, um, you know, I went with the most convenient reference, um, uh, reference work available to me. And I will admit 
that um, I will admit that that is not a robust way to do this. But I have come into this saying that this is not my area of expertise. Now, if somebody is going to hand wave away um, uh, something, then they'd better be, you know, because I'm used to arguing with flat earthers who just turn around and will say, well, that isn't true. Um, now, Pat had a um, uh, Pat had a superior understanding um, that the that the um, height estimates had been revised down, but even so, the um, it, that was actually irrelevant to my point, which was about calorific intake. Um, now, uh, you know, um, you know it, uh, and these criticisms are fair. You know what? Um, I have had you know I have had uh, uh, postdocs uh, get formula for, off uh, Wikipedia and not even bother to notice that actually the units, you know, the dimension of what they were obtaining using this formula was completely inconsistent with what they were, what they were supposed to be getting. So I see the, I see the difficulty here. Um, uh, but I feel like uh, perhaps people are focusing a little bit um, heavily on that. But, you know, not, doubtless, um, uh, you know, I can expect to be, uh, to be punished on my channel. Next up, this one from Will Stewart says, and this is probably our last one for the night. Hopefully we have Ernie come back. This, folks, I know the video is scrambled, but once Ernie, I think, comes back, it'll go back to normal. I'll be working on fixing the screen in a moment. But Will Stewart says, again, a straw man, scientific consensus didn't make my iPad. Technological development did. The items in it are undeniably true. Um, no, they're not undeniably true. We think we understand how the components of an iPad came together, um, but um, at the same time, our understanding of the standard model is complete, and we can reliably we can reliably uh, manipulate and arrange these components, but we cannot say with full certainty that we um, that we are completely right because at any point, um, uh, contradictory evidence might emerge. Um, you know, the um, it could be. That the laws of physics that we've understood may change at any point. So, um, and to suggest that the items in your iPad are completely unrelated to um, the progress of science over the past several hundred years is again idiotic. If you don't understand, if you cannot be an honest interlocutor, um, please desist from bothering me. Um, you seem, this guy um, seems completely intellectually dishonest. Um, uh, with absolutely no valid validity to what they're saying. And I hope that they're not a subscriber of yours. Um, uh, and I hope never to have to encounter them again. Um, but um, this, is ex this is precisely the sort of specious drivel that I was dreading. Um, and um, you, Mr. Stewart, should be ashamed that um, your fatuous ramblings um, have been allowed to infest what was actually a pretty constructive um, conversation with um, uh, two, two um, Bigfoot uh, proponents. And I don't agree with um, Ernie and Pat, but they were honest. They have been honest and courteous and um, entirely reasonable the entire way through. Um, and you haven't. With that, we are going to wrap up and want to say, folks, no matter what walk of life you're from, no matter what your view, background, Christian, atheist, black, white, gay, straight, you name it, folks. We hope you feel welcome. We're glad you're here. I will be back in just a moment with a post credit scene letting you know about epic upcoming debates 
at this channel. And I want to say a huge final thank you to our guests. It's been a true pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. All right. Well, yeah, thank you, uh, James. I, I've t I told you at the beginning, I'm, I am a fan of yours. I, I think what you're doing is great. Uh, that the topics you, you take on are, you know, wide variety of topics. I think that anybody subscribed to you is, is doing themselves a favor to, to have conversations like these. I do want to say thank you to both Ernie and Pat. I know Ernie's not here, but Pat, it was great speaking with you. Like Tony said, we may not agree and that's totally okay. Um, totally okay. I, I, I'm just glad that we could have the conversation I could never have with a flat earther. You know, the one that where I can yes. talk back <laughs> and forth and make make, you know, get my ideas out and listen to actual yeah. thoughtful responses to those ideas. I will say in final note, you, you honestly haven't convinced me. I need I personally would love for Bigfoot to exist. I would personally love for aliens to exist. I'm a huge enthusiast of both of those uh, of cryptids and aliens because they seem like the most mysterious things out there that to me sound plausible you know angels ghosts god all that doesn't intrigue me as much as cryptids and and aliens do but even with my own personal confirmation that's there my own personal biases that are there i still don't see anything that would convince me from your end to change my current belief into a belief that would be you know, that Bigfoots do actually exist, but I appreciate the conversation and Hey, let's, let's have another one one day. But I agree. And I do want, I would love to expand on this conversation with you team and, uh, and also uh, Tony. Um, but it's not about belief. It's, that word doesn't belong in my vocabulary when it comes to this discussion, because that requires faith. And uh, yeah. that's not what this is about. I'm, I'm, I'm more I'm more like you guys than you might think, you know, and, uh, no, and that's no, why no. Yeah. no, not at all. Actually, Pat, I, I think you're very much uh, I think, you know, I have full respect for you, man. Um, you know, Thanks. and I don't think that there's that much difference. Everybody weighs evidence slightly differently. You just weigh sure. it slightly differently from us. That's all. It yeah. Is, right? But again, man, that's because I swim these waters like mm -hmm. I mean, you you guys aren't here. You guys aren't swimming in these waters. And and so. <laughs> this is kind of an outreach program. I'm like, hey, guys, there's something here that is worth like it's worth more like looking at. Um, so um, can I ask you a question? Uh, and this yeah. came from the chat earlier. It wasn't a super chat or anything. But so do we're we not call, live. Are we, are we off air? Yeah, we're live. We're, we're live. But live. I, I want to ask you, oh, okay. do, do we call Bigfoot enthusiasts footies, feeties or feetsies? And that comes from Jet Guitar. Uh, yeah, feetsies. Feetsies, all right, good deal. You got it. Well, you you two are my favorite feetsies out there. <laughs> I'll be back with a post-credit scene in just a moment. Want to say thanks everybody here hanging out with us. Want to remind you in the comments, just as in the live chat, want to encourage you to attack the arguments rather than the person. So we do want to kind of work on cultivating a, a place where people are attacking those arguments rather than individuals, any sort of name calling, anything like that. And so I'll be back in a moment. Thanks everybody. Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach sweat platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. DLM's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.